I'm Madalika Sika. This is 52 Weeks, 52 Books, 52 Women, the podcast. I'm joining you today from my local bookstore, Politics and Prose, one of the finest independent bookstores in the country. And I'm pleased to say I am here with author Kamla Shamsi to talk about her wonderful new book, Homefire. Welcome. Thank you. Um, I call this book a book about being hyphenated. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about British Muslims, but I think a lot of people can uh, identify with the challenges of being hyphenated. Um, what what made you want to write about being hyphenated? I think it probably is a book I wouldn't have written five years ago because five years ago I wasn't a British citizen. Um, so that happened in my life in 2013. I've been living in London since 2007. And it's an interesting thing when you've been in a place long enough because I'd always thought of myself as a Pakistani in London. Um, so I'm from Karachi, it's where I grew up. But once you've made a place your home and you're there for a while, you start becoming aware you're no longer just you know the foreigner there, um, that you are a British citizen, but what does that mean? Um, and what do other British Pakistanis, what is, what is their experience? Um, what is it like to have been in that place from the time of your birth? Mm-hmm. Um, and I became more aware, I suppose, that that in Britain, I think to a degree that isn't the case in the US, and I hope it you know, doesn't become the case, where you know, if you are from somewhere else, people will always wonder how British you are. Um, unless you're in a certain bits of London, but there's, you know, if your parents or grandparents were the ones who came, um, are you really British or are you still a little bit foreign? Something else. Yeah, something else. Now, it's a book about two families, um, the Pashas. Uh, your characters are three siblings who are alone. Their uh, mother and grandmother have died, and their father left when they were very young, mm-hmm. Um to become, amongst many other things, um, a freedom fighter or jihadi. He were uh, in Chechnya and Bosnia, and ultimately he uh, came to his end at Bagram Air Base. And the siblings are Issa, the elder sister, and two uh, twins, uh, sister and brother, uh, Anika and Pervez. Uh, and the other family is the lone family, um, who are... Mr. Lone, he's a contemporary of their father, but took a very different path. Uh, he married um, a white woman. He became part of the establishment. He has mixed race children. Um, so they're two very different families. You know, the Pashas are hijab wearing. They are obviously Muslim. Karamat Lone is not. What What did you want to say about the different kinds of British Muslims that there are by having these two families be different in that way? Well, I think the worst way to write a novel is to start out thinking that there's something very definite you want to say. Um, I wanted to explore. You know, that's that's my writing is not about telling people things I already know. Um, my writing is about looking at things that I'm interested in and mm-hmm. trying to figure them out. So I was interested in these families. And, and one thing that, that's there at a very sort of subterranean level, but um, the hijab-wearing sisters, their mother didn't wear hijab. It's a decision they made at a certain point in their lives. And it's not a big deal in the novel because I get annoyed by the degree to which what Muslim women do and don't wear becomes a big deal in everyone's lives. But um, but they do take very different parts. And it was I was interested in looking at that. And I was actually interested in the gray areas and the overlap. Uh, that Karamat loan to the, to the Pasha seems 
like you know someone who's really turned his back on all muslims and has decided to do well in the world by being the anti-muslim muslim mm-hmm. uh, but he sees himself very differently um right? yeah and that i yeah. found your depiction of him mm-hmm. just fascinating mm-hmm. um you know he by the time we are in this story in the book he has recently become the home secretary and the home secretary for american uh, listeners who may not know is responsible for amongst other things domestic security and terrorism issues and he he is one example of a successful mm-hmm. muslim in britain um and i just found his he had a path he mm-hmm. knew how he was going to gain power but he sees it as the way to get ahead as a muslim he does and he also thinks that he can do good for other muslims by saying you know you can be like me you can be british and be muslim and do really well in the world come on you know be more like me sort of thing um, so he really resents people who think that he wants to leave muslims behind but actually he wants to set himself as a particular kind of assimilated role model right um whereas of course the thing about the, the pasha siblings is assimilation is not really an issue for them they're londoners yes you know they've grown up in london london is a city that is a wonderful place in as much as it allows you to be from anywhere um and they live in a particular part which is within um the the council of brent which is the most diverse bit in all of britain the most racially diverse that's um, actually my home that's your home <laughs> right so you know what i'm talking about yeah. <laughs> um, so so for them you know they don't see why they should have to think in terms of assimilation or not uh, but it's the fact that they're muslim and that their father has this particular has chosen this particular path means that it's not that they don't feel themselves british um it's that they think they're viewed with suspicion they're looked at differently they're looked at differently yeah. and the fact that they're looked at differently is what makes them feel different um and i think that's an important point to get across that it's not just that you know because they're muslim they feel different mm-hmm. um but that the way in which they're regarded suspiciously is the thing that is causing them to feel in these particular ways and what's interesting is is uh, you know she says that they can't afford to be questioned mm-hmm. you know their loyalty can't afford to be questioned because you know they are looked at uh differently now the younger brother he finds himself lured to ISIS mm-hmm. and he ends up in Raqqa and uh there are a couple of things i was interested in sort of the research that you did for that and and just thinking about to me he seems like a a lost boy mm-hmm. uh you know a kid who his sisters are successful smart he is burdened in some way by this father that wasn't around but has gained mythic status amongst mm-hmm. some um h- how did you go about doing the research for um conveying the sort of you know multi-dimensional mm-hmm. picture that you paint of this 19-year-old kid who's born and brought up in Britain yeah So one of the things that that was interesting to me because when I first started to think about the novel I wasn't sure that I would actually tell his story um and I thought that he would be the figure who other people talk about but you never see and when I started to do a little bit of research on the way these young and they very often very young men are recruited um you know when people talk about ISIS and recruitment they almost only talk about violence and they 
they make it sound as if, you know, the way they get these young boys is by saying you can have a gun, you can go and kill people. Um, and that they're appealing to boys who are predisposed to violence and like the sound of it. But when I actually did some research and I looked at the work of, of a man called Charlie Winter, who has works within sort of, you know, anti-radicalization stuff. And, um, and he had looked at three months worth of ISIS propaganda. And one of the things that he found was actually the violence was only a small part of it. And other major components were a sense of belonging and community and brotherhood and almost a welfare state. And, you know, come here, we have zoos and we have parks and um, it's all beautiful. And here are pictures of very happy young men, you know, going down a street on the back of a beautiful stallion. Um, and here are men standing together looking very happy and fishing in the river. And I thought, and I sort of worked back from that. And I thought, who are these images appealing to? They're not appealing necessarily to the boys who want to kill. They're appealing to the boys who want a home. Um, they're appealing to the boys who don't feel themselves at home where they are, um, who lack a sense of brotherhood. They're appealing to some crisis of masculinity as well. Right. You know, and I think that was a very big component in there. And, you know, that crisis of masculinity is preyed upon mm -hmm. um, by the people who are trying to recruit him in his neighborhood. He has two successful sisters who are strong-headed yeah. and, um, you know, he's made to feel a little mm -hmm. um, weak as a result. Um, so I found it very interesting how you very, uh, I guess, sympathetically um, explained how this could happen. You know, I think we get such a one-dimensional view um, in news coverage. Um, the story, your book ultimately hinges on um, one of the sisters wanting to bring her brother back, mm -hmm. um, which is complicated by the fact that she is in a relationship with the son of the home secretary. And this is how the two families uh, clash. Now, I thought there was a very telling uh, description when Eamon says to his father, you know, well, I'm dating a Muslim girl. Mm -hmm. And he says, he's, his father says, how Muslim? And yeah. the son responds, quite Muslim. <laughs> you say so much mm -hmm. in that. Mm. What is what is Karamat Lone thinking when he asks that question, how Muslim? Yeah, it's interesting because Karamat on one hand you know, has never really liked the fact that that his son actually is prior to this woman has been drawn to um, white upper class posh, as they say, girls who Karamat always feels look down on him for being not only Asian, but from having come from a working class background. So he's never been happy with the choices his son made before. Um, but now there's this other possibility that perhaps his son's choosing someone who is from Karamat's world more. But is he from the world Karamat is comfortable with? Or is he from the world Karamat has left behind? And that's really his question. And and But there's also within Karamat himself, there's, there's a dual sense because there's a part of him that regrets the fact that his son is so deracinated um, and that his son doesn't know Urdu and his son doesn't have any connection to Karamat's own past mm -hmm. uh, because it means there's a rupture between the two. So he also, there's a possibility that this girl might bridge some gap between him and his son, or there's a possibility that she'll represent everything that Karamat himself has tried to leave mm -hmm. behind. So to me, the book is very much about belonging. Mm -hmm. It's belonging to your group, the family, your group, your people, whether, you know, ethnically, culturally. Mm -hmm. um, and 
the group that is the state, mm-hmm. the nation that you are a part of. Yeah. Um, is that some, and you know, there is some, and raises the question, can your statehood be taken away from you? Mm-hmm. You know, that yeah. sense of belonging. Is that something that was really on your mind because you were actively going through the, um, the task of becoming a British citizen? It was very much on on my mind because it's not it's getting more difficult every year to acquire citizenship um, in Britain, and there were points when I thought I wouldn't be able to do it. That the rules, you know, rules would change, mm-hmm. and you'd suddenly wake up one morning, look at the new rules, and and think I may have to leave. Um, and at a point where you'd already started to make a life in a place, and you, you know, I would I would feel really insecure. And when I so I when I got the passport, I thought. Right, you know, whatever happens, I can feel, I can sort of exhale in a way and know that my life here is my life here. Um, and then quite soon after that, I, I saw somewhere uh, that actually there's a piece of legislation that says if you're a dual citizen, as I am, because I also have a Pakistani passport, then under certain certain circumstances, your British passport can be taken from you. Right. And Theresa May, who's now the Prime Minister and was then the Home Secretary, was trying to expand those powers of the state's ability to take away citizenship. Um, and so, yes, because that that whole process of, of acquiring citizenship had been so fraught and because it was such a relief to get it, um, I was then very aware of the fact that for some citizens, it's absolutely assured. No one can take that from you. Right. And for other citizens, it isn't. But what's interesting is for these siblings, mm. they're British. Mm-hmm. They are born in Britain. They're yeah. British. They have one citizenship. So questioning that, yeah. I think, you know, that brings mm-hmm. me back to this issue of being hyphenated. Well, they have one citizenship, but because they are of Pakistani descent, they're entitled to another passport because Pakistan will give you one mm-hmm. by descent. And I know, you know, kids, my, my friends, children who are born and raised in Britain, and just to make coming and going to their grandparents' homes easier, they're just given this, you know, piece of this form that basically gives them citizenship status in Pakistan. Uh, they're completely British. Their parents didn't realize at the time they did that. It meant that their children's British passport can be taken because they have this this piece oh. of this thing that gives them rights somewhere well, else. I think it's just oh. it's it's wonderful the way you weave all these themes together and you tell the story through the eyes of each different character throughout the book and you pack a lot in um in a in a breakneck speed uh i think that to me what works so much about the book is the fact that it it's unputdownable in that page turning kind of way but it's also very um deep and thoughtful and profound um and devastating these are all the things, of course, I want. <laughs> and so devastating, you know, we yeah. can't talk about the ending, but mm-hmm. it's a devastating ending that um, I think will make people gasp as they read it. Um, I think it's, uh, it, it's, it's a remarkable book, and I'm really glad that you were able to talk to me about it. Um, you can read about this book and other great books by women authors at 52 Weeks, 52 Books, 52Women.com. And subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Kamla Shamsi, thank you for joining me here at Politics and Prose. Thank you very much.